and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. I've talked recently and, and taught recently about how important we are to one another, that God put us in a family and that there's great strength within the family of God. Great strength that enables us to withstand things together that we would not be able to do individually. That safety in numbers, um, I shared how whenever you have a, a wolf or a lion, when they're hunting their prey, they try to get one separated out of the herd. They try to get one by itself before they attack. They don't, you don't see a wolf attack a whole flock of sheep at once, or lions take down a whole herd of antelope. And there's an illustration that um, some of you probably have seen at times that I think shows the strength that comes in numbers. If you take one stick, it's very easy to break, right? But if you take a whole bundle of sticks, no matter how hard I would try to break that, or somebody even stronger than me, they wouldn't be able to do it, right? Right. right, and it shows you. It shows you that when we're together, there's great strength that's derived from that. Let's take this just one step further. What happens right now, I'm holding that all together very tightly. What happens the second I let go of it? They all fall all over the place, right? If that strength's going to be maintained, there has to be some means whereby it's kept together, some way where it is bound together. And that's an interesting concept, and it's a word that we're going to be looking at a bit in God's Word that talks about bonds. To use another illustration, get rid of that one. What a mess I'm making here. It, can everybody see this? Yes. You know what it is? Jenga. Jenga. How many of you have played Jenga? Hi. Okay, just about everybody, or I guess everybody. <laughs> so with Jenga, the idea is to build that tower as high as you can. And, you know, you do it in the craziest way. You start taking out pieces from within the tower and putting them on top. And you keep going. And as you do it, what happens to that tower? It gets weaker. It gets weaker. Every time you take out a piece, you're weakening it. It becomes less stable. It becomes more precarious. And eventually, the way you lose the game is that tower comes tumbling down, right? If you were going to build a tower, you probably, in real life, you'd probably not choose to do it in that manner, right? right. You, you wouldn't start pulling pieces out and just adding them onto the top as you went. And 
even if you just kept building on top of it, it still is pretty, and I've got this in this little plastic thing here, um, it's still you know, pretty shaky. It's still, you know, not, not like you'd want to perch yourself on top of that if it was to scale, right? Right. What could you do to make that more solid? That's right. In some way, bind it together. In some way, bind it together. Some of the strength in this tower, just as it is, is due to the particular way that these are arranged. You've got three going this way and then three going that way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If they were all going the same way, you wouldn't have a chance of taking one out. In fact, just standing there as it is, it would probably just tumble over. You know, in the Word of God, it talks about the body edifying, building itself up, that we, the church, have the responsibility and the joy and privilege of building the church, building each other up. And there's some wonderful illustrations that are used about that one of which talks about bonds, and then the other one talks about the way that it's fitly joined together. And this is joined together in a way where it is arranged in a certain way, but if you wanted to build something, if you wanted to build a wall, if you're gonna do that out of brick or a block, you wouldn't just lay some this direction and some that direction. You'd have them interlocking. Everybody's seen a brick wall or a block wall or something like that. You have those arranged in a manner where just the arrangement itself gives some stability to it, and then it's held together with mortar, some type of mortar to give it strength. You can take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 3. Building a wall, you know, walls can be built for a lot of different reasons. I recently built a retaining wall in my backyard where we have a playground area. I did that because prior to that I had just tried to make it in a way where I sort of had a wall of dirt, but you know what happened? It kept on eroding away. It kept on eroding away. So I built a wall to hold in what I wanted to hold in. That's one thing that you could do with a wall, is you could keep in what you wanted to keep in. With a wall, you could also keep out what you wanted to keep out. In Bible times, most of the cities were walled cities, where around the entire city they would build a wall. And that wall was to keep out those that might be an enemy, those that might be an intruder. And it was to provide safety for the people that were inside. It wasn't to keep them locked in, it was to keep others out. You could build a wall to keep just people out, but walls also provide other things. A home, a house, is constructed with walls. And that those walls are, are you know, not only providing safety, but warmth, it's providing a home for that family. People can build walls in a lot of ways. Sometimes people build walls to keep others out. 
and they build walls around themselves. And those walls can often be self-destructive. But on the other hand, we want to build this body of Christ in a way that is strong. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and doing what? Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. If anybody has a quarrel, an argument, if anybody feels like they've been wrong, offended by something, then God tells us that we should forgive one another, even as, for Christ's sake, he forgave us. Verse 14. And above all these things, above that compassion, above those mercies, above that humility and that meekness and that long-suffering, above all of those things, even above the forgiveness, put on what? Charity, the love of God, which is the bond of perfectness, the bond of perfection. Bond. There's that word bond that I was talking about. That word bond, it's used in different ways. Sometimes it means that which would bind something together, like I did with the rubber band around the sticks. Or it can be something that bonds in a manner like mortar would. In terms of classical Greek literature, it's used in those different ways. In the Bible, it's used of the ligaments that hold the different parts of the body together, binding them together. But that love of God is that which is the bonding agent, that which gives the cohesiveness, that which keeps us together, that which keeps us together. Because without the love of God, just like that bundle of sticks, the second you let it go, it just falls apart. God's placed us in this body in a very particular arrangement. It says that he's placed every member as it's pleased him. That the body's not one, but many members. Everybody has a certain thing that they contribute. Everybody has a certain thing that they can do. But what keeps us together, and the only thing that can keep us together, is that love of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That love of God is a perfect love. And when I speak of the love of God, biblically it comes from the Greek word agape or agapeo. One's the, ner- the noun and the other one's the verb. And that love of God is something different than just human love. The love of God is a divine love. It is a spiritual love. It is a perfect love. Do you want perfect love in your life? Yes. Well, that's the love of God. There's other kinds of love. And it's not like you have to pick and choose. Okay, I can either do emotional, human love, or the love of God. No, God wants us to to have both. 
But few people understand what the love of God is, and even fewer ever really get it, really obtain it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, But as touching brotherly love, brotherly love, and that's that human love, that emotional love. In the Greek, it's the word Philadelphia. As touching Philadelphia, not the city. You need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. There's the other kind. You have these two types of love spoken of. One is a human love, an earthly love, and that's a wonderful thing. Certainly we want that. Everybody wants that emotional love in their life. Everybody wants to feel that, to know that they have someone's great affection, to know that, that they care about them in that manner. But that in itself is not enough. Philadelphia can be very disappointing. Again, I'm not talking about the city. I'm, might be to somebody, I don't know. But the love of that brotherly love can disappoint. Because that human love is based on feelings, and feelings come and go. Feelings come and go. The person that one day tells you that they love you just greater than anyone they ever met, they can change their mind, can't they? Yes. It's an emotional, conditional, limited love. It's conditional. Certain things that they like about you, certain things that where you connect with somebody, where you have certain common interests, certain likes, certain personalities that click, all of that's involved in it. You know, if it's talking about a man and a woman, it's generally based on very superficial things as well. You know, I like the way her eyes look. I like her hair. You know, he, he's strong and tall and handsome. All of these things that people base that kind of love upon, right? But the love of God is not that way. And it's not to say that we don't want the one, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. And that's why it says, as touching that brotherly love, ye yourselves are taught also to love one another, to go beyond that. That same truth is shared in other places, like 1 Peter 1.22. You don't have to turn there. Where it says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, Philadelphia. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, the love of God. Since you've got this human love, since you're friends already, since you're already sweet on each other in some way, then go beyond that and have the genuine love of God as well. We have to cultivate that in our lives. And when we speak of this word agapeo, we often define it as the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to experience it, it takes that whole mouthful of a definition. It's the love of God. It's a spiritual quality. Resident within that gift of Holy Spirit that we receive at the time of the new birth. Resident within that new creation that we are, that new man, the Christ in us that when we're born again, we receive within that gift of Holy Spirit that nature of God, and God is what? Love. love. The nature of God, and God is love. So it is that kind of spiritual divine love. But 
if it only stays in the spiritual category and doesn't get into manifestation, we don't profit from it. In order for us to enjoy it, to receive the benefit of it, it has to go beyond just being resident within that Holy Spirit with dunamis, but it has to then, we have to renew our minds to God's word and then act on it. The love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation. And that love, you can turn to Matthew chapter 22, that is the perfect love. The love that doesn't ever disappoint. The love that doesn't ever end. If, a, if people that have phileo love go to the point of having the love of God, well then, that never fails. Phileo, Philadelphia, that kind of love does. But it's such a perfect love that in Matthew 22, in verse 36, someone questioning Jesus Christ said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus responded in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. What kind of love do you think that is? Love of God. The love of God. Unlimited. Unconditional. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Did you ever think about that phrase? On those two hang just the Ten Commandments. No. No. All the law and the prophets. And I love the way that, that Jesus Christ always spoke by revelation, and those words are used such precisely. Because the entire Old Testament, the entire... Hebrew scriptures that were written by that time, he divided into three categories. The law, the prophets, and the other writings. Psalms, or which means other writings. Those other writings consisted of Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, but it also consisted of those books of the Bible that were historical. All, everything within the law is fulfilled within the love of God. It's all about the love of God. It's all contained within that. Everything that the prophets shared, everything that they had to say, was also talking about, in some manner or another, God's love. Even if it was sometimes very reproving, it still was because God loved. But was everything in the history of Israel reflective of the love of God? If you know the history of Israel, you know that that's not true by a long shot, right? right? Not everything in their history, in those other writings, was a matter of the, the love of God. But everything contained in the law and the prophets is fulfilled in that love of God. That's why it tells us in Romans, turn there, Romans 13. In Romans 13, as well as in other places... It speaks about how love is the fulfilling of all of, that, all of those laws. In Romans 13, in verse 8, it says, Owe no man anything but to do what? Love. Love, love one another. 
For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. If you love, you fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, any other, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no will to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love people, are you going to steal from them? No. If you love people, are you going to you know, hurt them? Are you going to lie to them? Are you going to do any of those things? No. Are you going to kill somebody if you love them? No. So if you walk in the love of God, that's all you have to really think about if it's genuinely the love of God. If it really is the love of God, then that takes care of everything else. I find, in, you know, generally speaking, that very few people have any problem with the concept of love in the abstract. Hmm. But when it comes to the practical, that's where the crowd thins out. It's one thing to sit and say, yeah, I like that. I like the idea of loving people. I like the idea of no matter what they do, that I'm still loving, of not being conditional, not loving this one, but not loving that one. Well, you know, I like that. I, I can see myself that way. But when you get in the room with that person that's acting very unlovable, well, that's where the real test comes, doesn't it? When you're called upon to do something that requires you acting with that love of God, that's where you find out how real it is to you, how much you've put it on in the renewed mind and are manifesting it. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Still talking about this perfect love in 1 John 4, it says there, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. That perfect love is so perfect that it gets rid of fear in your life. It gets rid of fear. And that's one of the things that that perfect love can do. It can break down those walls. Because the reason people build walls between themselves and others, the reason people have a problem is, is because of fear. It's because they're afraid, because they feel like they've been hurt, and because they don't want to be hurt, and because they, they guard themselves. And so they do that out of fear. But perfect love tears that all down. It casts out fear. Look at Galatians chapter 5. With that love of God, no, I should, you go there, but I, there's another verse I want to read in 1 John. It goes on to say, We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, hates or dislikes his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he that loveth God loves his brother also. If we love God, if we truly love God, then we're not going to hate or even strongly dislike a brother. And somebody says, well, I love God, but, you know, people, that's another problem. 
Yeah, well, you know, basically, it's, it's people that are always going to be the problem. You know, it's people that, that will be the challenge. God, God is not going to be annoying. God is not going to say something hurtful to you. God is not going to disappoint you. He's pretty easy. He's pretty easy. But will people disappoint you? Yeah. yeah, even the best of them. Will people at times do things to hurt you, say things that might hurt you? Perhaps not even trying. Sure. People will always fall short. People are human. And God, that love of God is perfect, but God only has imperfect people to work with. And we have to realize that. We have to remember that. We have to be forgiving. We have to put on those qualities of the love of God where we are forbearing, where we can stand one another. We have to be willing to be imitators of God. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 13, it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Liberty means the freedom to choose. We've been called into liberty. We're not under that Old Testament law. We've been called into liberty, and you can do what you want. You can choose to love God or not love God. You can choose to read His Word or not read it, to be kind to people or not. We have that liberty. But he goes on to say, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. With that liberty, you can do what you darn well please. But with love, we serve. Verse 14. Again, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another... Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. You can do whatever you want, but if you use love, liberty has an occasion of the flesh, you know where that ends up? It ends up with people biting and devouring one another. If people are, instead of serving with love, are just still limited with emotions, still controlled by situations, then where that ends up is they just bite and devour to the point that we're consumed one of another. In verse 16 it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Those all sound pretty terrible, don't they? Yeah. But look at what's in the same category, in the same breath. Envyings, murders, well, that's pretty extreme. Drunkenness, well... Right alongside, huh? Revelings and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as have I told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. 
Against such there is no law. There's a choice there, a choice, and we have the freedom to make the choice. We can do the works of the flesh, which means just that which is according to the old nature. The things that are just kind of built within us. The things the world would lead us to do. Or, and all those things, you know, are all pretty negative. Or, we can walk by the Spirit. And with it, then, produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and so forth. What would you rather have? What would you rather have? But you have to make a choice in how you walk, how you conduct yourself. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in love. And you cannot truly walk in the love of God and the renewed mind in manifestation without walking in the Spirit and vice versa. You can't walk in the Spirit without walking in love. You can't walk in love without walking in the Spirit. It's a walk. It's a walk. It's a walk walking in His steps, walking like Christ did, being imitators of God. And as we choose to do that, rather than just emotion, instead of just feeling, instead of just what's kind of the way that we've been built and led to live, then we tap into that perfect love. That perfect love that is that bond of perfection. Perfect love that will be the way that you make relationships last. God bless. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.